Well, hey, everybody. Welcome to a special bonus episode of Leading Simple with Rusty George. I'm joined by our campus pastor at Canyon Church. And Cole, uh, I'm going to let you introduce our guest today because he's a friend of yours. I'm so excited to talk to him about his new initiative that he's doing with the police officers. And so, Cole, I will hand it over to you. Yeah, thanks, Rusty. So we are here today with uh, my friend London McBride. And I met London uh, several years ago. And just from the beginning, I, I think actually our, our first kind of conversation was around the idea of, of you being a police officer, but also just of racial injustice, racial reconciliation and solidarity and, and even your engagement in the church and how those two collide. And uh, so, yeah, we wanted to just kind of sit down and, and chat with you and kind of get your perspective on things. Um, but yeah, if you could just start off London by telling us a little bit about yourself and fill in the gaps where I just missed. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me, y'all. Um, my name is London uh, McBride, and um, I've been, yeah, I'm a California native. Um, I've been in law enforcement for about 15 years, um, but I've also been in ministry for probably a little bit longer, uh, almost, gee whiz, a little over 20 years. I was a young adult and youth pastor. Um, and yeah, those two worlds, those two worlds collided, um, and um, it's just been, it's been fun uh since then uh yeah me and cole met uh at was a ciy and yeah. we just uh i mean we hit it off and he knew what i was about and, and i got to uh, hear his heart and everything that he was about and i was just like dude this is like the beginning of a great friendship and um being able to to keep connect uh with cole has been a, a big time blessing because uh just being able to kind of work with him in, in different things uh has just been a blessing to not just us uh, individually, but uh, it's just the communities that we serve. So I think it's been awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. So yeah, we just want to, again, just have a conversation with you and get your perspective on things. And so uh, I'll kick it back to you, Rusty, and you can get us, get us started. Yeah. Well, uh, for our listeners and not viewers, um, Cole and, uh, and I are, are two Caucasian guys that have no idea what it is that you deal with as a African-American man in our community and world this time. And you're also a police officer. So I mean, you really see things from a different perspective than we do. Tell us about, I mean, so much was made about um, kind of the corruption in law enforcement. And we know that's painting things with a really broad brush um, not everybody thinks the way that what we saw happen to George Floyd. So, you know, tell us about your take on police brutality. Is this real? Is it as rampant as we fear? Is it kind of one-sided? Educate us a little bit about that from not just a, a black man's perspective, but also a police officer's perspective. Yeah, you know, that's a, a great, a great question. Like, is it, is it real? Is it, is it, is it running rampant? I think um, what you have is a, you know, it, it just, it really just depends on how you, how you, how you really look at it. Um, uh, just speaking of from me as a, as a black man in this, in this blue uniform, um, I kind of get it uh, all the way around. I'm a traitor on to my people. And then uh, if I speak up against the injustice, I'm a traitor to the uniform. So I don't, subscribe to, you know, kind of walking on eggshells when it comes to that. I, I just try to tell the truth. Um, a lot of people, what I realized, they just don't know the history of policing and how it affected uh, a whole community, a whole uh, 
ethnicity group, you know, um, starting from the inception of, of slavery in 1619 to, you know, the whole nationalization uh, articles that were written in 1790. Like they don't, a lot of people don't realize, and when you get into law enforcement, you kind of just subscribe to a culture. And this culture, uh, you have to almost believe the same things. You have to vote the same way. You have to probably get the big truck and the hats to match and all that kind of stuff. Like it's just, you, you end up, you end up like kind of assimilating to that whole identity of cop. Um, and when you don't, people think something wrong with you. Um, but, you know, I think speaking now from just that view of uh, what does it look like being on the inside? Is there that brutality? I think there's a lot of stuff that just doesn't get reported um, and kind of swept under the rug. I'm thankful, I'm thankful that I haven't had to deal with officers like that in, in my department, but we all know that it's, that it's there. I think the problem that uh, society is having, especially African-American community, is having with officers is that no one wants to, to actually step up and say, yeah, there's some bad stuff going on um, and we need, to, we need to fight against it. Um, one of my lieutenants said it best. He said, good cops, good cops hate bad cops um, across the board. And, you know, but we need to do a better job in speaking up against all of the injustices that are going on out there. So it's not a made, it's, it's not a made up thing. It's not a, uh, but it's also not running as rampant as we think it is. Like I said, there are a lot of places that like, like things are not reported. Um, and, you know, it is just to kind of, kind of pull the wool over the eyes of the people to think that everything is okay because, once, once we start believing everything is okay, we'll never start questioning these, these, uh, these actions. And, and I think one of the other big things that we fight with is that um, someone being racist is not, I mean, you don't walk around with a sign over, over, you know, hovering over you saying I'm a racist. Like that stuff, that's an internal heart issue that, that people need to deal with. And so um, being able to, to address that uh, in law enforcement is huge, but that, that's a whole nother story in itself on how, how, do you, how do you get rid of that mentality um, in law enforcement? So, um, no, these are, I mean, valid, valid questions and, and, and valid concerns that people, that, that people have. And I think, you know, now it's, it's just time, uh, it's time to answer people. For so long, I think law enforcement has said, sit down and listen to us, this is how we do it. Um, but now I think we're, we're past that and we need to be the ones uh, leading the charge to say, okay, we, we need to listen. <laughs> We're probably not doing this the right way. How can we, how can we, how can we police better? How can we serve, you know, you better? That's great, London. And I, I would jump in on that just to, um, one of the things you brought up was kind of the good cop, bad cop, or, um, um, depending on how you speak, you can be seen as a traitor on either side of, of the equation. And, that's one thing that I think that our culture really elevates is that binary thinking, right? Where it's good or bad or it's this or that. And depending on what you believe, then that means you must believe like if I'm on this side, that means I must hate the other side. And so kind of in, in that, can you kind of help us understand how do you balance that tension? How do we balance that tension by me saying um, black lives matter as the statement um, is a statement that says, hey, black lives do matter, but that doesn't mean on the other end that I now believe that I hate cops. 
right? Or the kind of the this or that mentality. How do you balance that tension and, and how can we begin to wrestle with that ourselves? I think it's just a, it, it, it is a, it is a mind shift, but like I said, with the identity that law enforcement officers have, um, anything that looks like it rises up against policing is considered negative. And when the whole Black Lives Matter movement started, everybody just said they were, you know, anti-cop. Uh, from Kaepernick kneeling, it was, you know, I've had people tell me, you know, I don't like Kaepernick, I don't like Nike. And I'm like, why? And they say, well, they hate cops. No, they never said they hated cops. They said they hate police brutality. And when the Black Lives Matter movement started, it was the same thing. You know, uh, it seemed like uh, society to get back at the Black Lives Matter movement they begin to say all lives matter and blue lives matter. Well, no one said it didn't matter. But my thing is this, we're hypocrites if we don't first acknowledge the fact that black lives have to matter in order for all lives to matter, including blue lives. So if we can't come to that agreement and say, no, black lives do matter. We've kind of, you know, messed over their communities for so long. Um, we, need to, we need to make it important enough to say that they matter. And then we, we're not hypocrites by saying all lives matter. We can raise the all lives matter, blue lives matter flag all day long. But if we still feel the same way about black lives, then we're lying. We're lying to ourselves and we're lying to people. Yeah, I, I, I love the way you said that. That was That's really good. And I, I think that the danger we get into is this whole binary thinking that it's one way or the other. It's either or rather than a both and. I heard somebody describe it this way. If I decide to go out and, um, and do a, a walk for uh, breast cancer awareness, it doesn't mean that I've negated all the other cancers out there. I've just supported this particular one cause. And I think in this situation, no one's saying that I matter. It's the, 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 the life that's feeling a lot of pain right now and has for a while. How do we, we help that out? Can you help us understand, because you definitely walk in both worlds, how do we keep from being binary thinking and just either or you're either for black lives or you're against how, how do we kind of see a more of a both and? I think the, the way to do it is, is just, is education. Um, what I've realized, you know, especially being in law enforcement is like a lot of people don't know uh, the history. A lot of cops don't know the history of policing. They don't know, you know, and, you know, in the South, it was slave patrol. In the North, it was more of a, almost a kind of like community-based type policing um, around that time. But people tried to flee the South to go to all these different places where they knew they weren't going to be apprehended by slave patrol because slavery was rampant. Um, I think that being educated in those things um, will allow people to open their eyes and kind of see the bigger picture of why this movement is so uh, is so needed and, and and has been going on since you know uh, since since African Americans were were brought over here. So I think that's the one thing that I've seen, and I've seen just a, a seems like a blatant just kind of like denial of the ugly truth that America that was woven into America. Um, just with, with how we treated African-American people. And I think that not being able to, to face that fact head on um, it, it is, is basically leading us to where we are right now, where the, 
Um, things are kind of just spilling over and folks are, folks are just tired. But what you see from the community that don't believe, you know, including the law enforcement community, they look at that as an attack. But people have protested before for countless of other things. And we've never, you know, we've never took a stance and, and said anything negative about, about those causes. But when this cause jumped up, it seemed like we were all, all in and crosshairs locked on to trying to take down this, take down this movement because we just wanted to, to me, we just wanted to pretend like it didn't exist. And so I think education is huge, but then I also think that just, you know, and it's funny because <laughs> we were just on a, a last week, well, cause I'm back on patrol now. Um, so just going back to patrol after working four years in detectives and seeing everything, you know, how it's changed, especially since George Floyd, where everybody's recording you, um, like it, it is, it's been eye-opening in the sense that, like, like I said, a lot of people just don't know. They subscribe to one thing, and that's even on the side of defund the police and all that kind of stuff. They, they've jumped on one side without knowing the, the, the mission behind it, or how do, we really, how do we really fix the problem? Like we can say all these cool catchphrases and come up with all these radical changes, but if communities aren't uh, really communities. And that means, you know, not separating the two, not separating, not having cops be on one side and communities be on one side and, you know, other races be uh, on one side. Like if we can really just come together as a community and show that love and respect and compassion, um, you know, especially that God has always taught us how to live our lives. Like if we can honestly do that, um, I think we'll be fine. I always tell people, now, when, you know, some of my friends that I grew up with or went to school with um, that aren't African-American, I say, well, man, what, what am I, what do I do? Like, how do I, how do I fix this? How do I change this? I said, you keep, you keep teaching your kids to love everybody. It, 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 like, that's the, the simplest solution I can say. And, and speaking of that, that stop that I was on, when I was trying to explain that to the young man that was filming us, and he, all his, his, his answer was defund, 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 we need to take you guys off the street. And that's how we stop all this racism. I said, no, you need to teach your family how to love one another. So when it really comes down to it, that's, that's, that's what it is. That, that's the bottom line. But <laughs> no one wants to subscribe to that for some reason. <laughs> and it's easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that puts too much work on ourselves. Not on other people, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good, London. And even talking about kind of ways to get engaged, that's one of the one of our more recent conversations has been an initiative that you have been spearheading um, with a nonprofit organization called uh, Police Against Racism. Can you tell us a little bit kind of about how this came about, what it means to you and even the mission behind the organization, the things that uh, you all are trying to achieve? Yeah, so it, it, it's, it was crazy. Um, after all this started, you know, kind of blowing up, um, one of my one of my good friends who I work cases with, he's a defense attorney, um, and I worked cases with when I was in detectives. Uh, he called me one day and he was like, "Hey man, like I'm really thinking that you know I want you to lead this organization I'm thinking about putting together." And he brought me along uh, with some more uh, retired uh, cops from Long Beach, and so his his mission and and what our mission became was this group of not just police officers, but community members that were just anti-racism. Like we're, we, we're pro-cop, we love 
law enforcement, but we just don't want the bad stuff that's going on in organizations. And those bad things uh, affect our communities the same way. So what we were, what, you know, what our fight is, is to uh, really just rebuild communities and start to repair the damage that, you know, we've done as law enforcement, you know, as law enforcement officials to try to do more in community engagement, um, to even get embedded with agencies to help them with training because, you know, we do have bias-based police training, but I mean, to be honest with you, it's not, it's not up to par, uh, no pun intended. It's not up to par, um, with, with, uh, with what should be out there that can actually educate people. Um, and so we, we've been trying to move in that direction. And a lot of our meetings, uh, have been based around like what, what ideas the community members can give us that we can try to go out and get um, and try to and try to do. So um, we we were just said no. We're, we don't want we don't want the racism inside uh, organizations because it is rampant as well. You know from uh, how many African Americans don't get promoted um, and kind of just left there working in patrol and they're more than qualified, um, and to how you have people that don't care about the community policing community. And so that, that's been our mission to try to change that. And I think PAR, basically what it ends up becoming because of the resources that we have um, is, is almost like a conduit between communities and law enforcement agencies with people that we know to try to get them in front of folks um, that we know um, that have influence to try to, uh, try to legitimize what they're trying to do now, the changes that they're trying to, that they're trying to take on um, in, in these different agencies. So that's been... It's been something we've been working on for the past couple of months. We had to, you know, kind of sit back and revamp and, and then realize, you know, hey, maybe we move it too fast. Let's slow down. Let's try to uh, kind of dial it in and focus on what we really want to do. So it's been, it's, been, it's been fun. I think, you know, it's been really fun just because of, you know, the people that we get to have on and, and share their hearts. Like Cole has come on with us. And um, it's, it's just been a, you know, I'll tell you this, even just the meetings when we talk about, the hurt and stuff that's going on in the community has been like a, almost like a healing circle that we've got to uh, participate in. So it's been a good stuff. Been good stuff. So London, let me ask you this question um, as we start to wrap up, but, um, and Cole, you might have something else you want to ask, but, you know, some of the people that I talk to um, that are also white, they, they, they look at me and they say, I'm not a racist. Uh, I never owned slaves. Uh, I consider myself somewhat colorblind, um, and all I hear is this, you know, every time I turn on television, every time I see somebody, they're just in my face like, like I did this, and I didn't. You know, what would you say to that person? Because it's not so much of a, of a, of a condemning or, you know, kind of pointing at, but it's more of a, it's a different approach that they need. What would you say to them? You know, it, it a lot of, a lot, like I said, a lot of my buddies, my, my old teammates um, have asked me that, asked me that same question. And I don't want them to feel the guilt, you know, because mm -hmm. it is true. Like you didn't have slaves. You're, you're not oppressing me. You're not doing anything like that. Um, but I think the whole thing is, and they can say true indeed. They can, they can honestly say they're, they're not racist. Um, I think um, when it comes to racism, um, just the, the, the bare bones of what racism is, is like those that are in power that are basically taking advantage of the system because they're the ones, they're the ones in power. Just like we were talking about, like, 
when in 1790 when the the Congress, the Articles of Congress stated that that basically started using the term white and everybody else that was non-white were basically you couldn't be citizens. And so um, when you think about racism, it's for those that are in power that are basically taking advantage of a system that is built to support them. And so you might not be racist, but I'm reminded of what um, uh, one of the Rams players, the old lineman, uh, Andrew Whitworth, he was saying on a, on a, on a, on a TV special that they were doing, um, he said, I had to honestly look back over my life and say, did I get this based on the color of my skin being a white man? You know, and I thought that was huge because it, he realized that I don't have to take advantage of these opportunities given to me because of the color of my skin when I know somebody else uh, that might not be white is better. But my thing is to, to all, of my, all of my friends that aren't, Aren't, aren't black. I tell them this. I said, it's not, it's not your, it's not your fault. Like I'm not blaming you, but what I need you to do is walk it out with me. And if you could do anything, it's to go back to your community and say, Hey, we have to do something to stop hurting our African-American families, you know, and stop hurting, you know, our brothers and sisters, uh, in those communities. And I think that's the biggest thing. Um, so yeah, no, it's, it's it, like, I'm not, I don't want to blame or put the blame on anybody. Um, you know, it, when you look at, put it this way, those that, those that are racist know they're racist and y- you can't hide it because you're going to push their buttons enough. The fact that it's going to come out. Um, but for those that are feeling the pinch because they know their hearts are in the right place, I tell them, you know, just keep following your heart. Keep being, keep being great people and keep loving one another. I mean, that's the best way, you know, that we can, that we can defeat this thing. Um, yeah, that's pretty much what I tell them. Yeah, that's so good, London. And I even want to jump in on a little bit, too. Of one, of the, one of the books I read that's been so helpful for me was written by Dr. Beverly Tatum, and it's called Why Are All the Black Kids Sitting in the Cafeteria Together? And it is yep. an incredible, incredible read. And she kind of breaks it down, and she says, she wants you says racism is like smog in the air. It, it, we're all affected by it, and it may be different depending on where you're at. Um, but she gives this um, illustration of saying that we're all kind of in this um, in three different ways, in one of the three categories. And it's she gives the illustration of the escalator walkway, like at the airport, like the flat, like treadmill-looking thing that helps speed people up. And she says we're all on this, and you're in three positions. Either you're an active racist, which means you are walking in the direction of, on that treadmill walking. So not only is the treadmill moving you forward, but you're actively walking uh, in a racist-like fashion. She says the second one is uh, passive racism, which I think uh, goes to that question, Rusty, where um, it may not affect me as a white man, um, but by not doing anything, I am part, I'm passive. So I'm on that escalator, and even if I'm not doing anything, it's moving me in a racist direction. And then finally, she says the third category is to be anti-racist, which is to walk the other direction on that treadmill. Um, and I think you've given us some tangibles around that, right? With one, with the organization that you're spearheading, but also saying, hey, do your part in teaching your kids and loving your neighbor. Um, that is one of the many ways that we're able to walk in the opposite direction of that treadmill. So anyways, I think that's so so great, London. And uh, I just wanted to kind of point that out to kind of bring it home. That's good stuff. Yeah, that's great. That is really, really good. 
uh, moving sidewalk, I think is the term. Cole, oh, the there you go. Board. Yeah. Treadmill, flat escalator. Yeah, it was a shot in the dark. <laughs> You're from Texas. Like, we don't expect anything more. So, uh, no, that's that's really really good, uh, London. We wish you all the best with Police Against Racism. If there's any way we can continue to try to get the word out for you, let us know. And we're praying for you and grateful for what you're doing, man. And I'm really thankful that Cole set this up. So, thank you for being part of the of the podcast. No, thank you. I, I appreciate I appreciate y'all and everything that y'all doing, uh, changing the world out there um, in that heat too. Because I know it's hot where y'all are. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes, it is. But man, oh, I, man. I, I've, I've I've always loved y'all and uh, and just admired everything that you guys have been doing. So thank you, thank you, thanks for the support. Hey, pastors, have you ever had a moment where you're talking with somebody and they are complaining about their prayer life and they say, I prayed about it and I heard nothing. I just don't know what to do next. And you find yourself having to do a little bit of PR work for God, explaining what he might have been thinking, why he wouldn't have answered, what to do next. Well, I've had so many of those conversations. I decided to research what does the Bible say about what do we say and what do we do after we pray? Lots out there on what to do before you pray but I wanted to figure out what you do after. So I took a look at what Jesus said to people and told them to do when they came to him with their requests, and it's pretty fascinating. And I came up with seven things that can help all of us when it comes to how we respond after we say amen and there's silence. So go over to my website, pastorrustygeorge.com, and you can pick up a copy of the book. And here's the way we're gonna do this. It's $15.99 on Amazon. I'll give it to you for 14. You can actually get two copies for 20. Or if you wanna get a bulk rate and pick up 50 copies of the book for your church, for your small groups, for your youth ministry, uh, I'll even throw in a bunch of uh, sermon manuscripts and small group videos uh, that'll help you as well at a reduced cost. So check all that out, pastorrustygeorge.com.